Too much justice for George Floyd spells problems for Black Lives Matter. Plus, more names continue to come out as the Wall Street Journal investigates the who's who of hanging out with the world's formerly richest child rapist. On the latest episode of History's Greatest Podcast, I'm Eric Giannis, and this is The Eric Giannis Show. Hi everyone, and welcome back. Ex-police officer Tu Tao, who held the crowds back at the infamous death of criminal on the run, George Floyd, was convicted Tuesday morning of aiding and abetting second-degree manslaughter. Tao's conviction comes as the latest and final conviction of the officers involved in the death of Mr. Floyd. Over two years ago, Derek Chauvin, the lead officer who notoriously knelt on Floyd's neck, was sentenced to 22 and a half years in prison. The other two officers involved are also serving multiple years in prison for their roles in watching Mr. Floyd die. Tao will be sentenced on August 7th and is expected to receive several years as well. Of course, these men are rightfully serving time for a crime they have committed. After all, they broke the law and were found guilty in the ordinary process of the legal system. Justice demands that they be punished. But that poses a tough question for the BLM Antifa military industrial complex. The fact that none of the criminals involved in Floyd's death got off scot-free spells problems for the leftist narrative of systemic racial injustice. Why? Because if all of the men who killed George Floyd are then punished, doesn't that mean justice prevailed? The question at the heart of the story is, what is justice? As it turns out, that's not a very easy question to answer, particularly without an appeal to an objective, immaterial, transcendent foundation to justice. But strangely enough, despite the immense difficulty of knowing what is just and what isn't, we hear calls for justice all the time. Justice for Lindsay. Justice for Trump. Justice for the people of Ukraine. Justice for George Floyd. Everyone seems to be clamoring for justice these days, and while their intentions may be good, I wonder whether any of us even know what we are clamoring for. What does it mean to quote-unquote get justice for someone? Unfortunately for many of us, we have not any inclination to ask that question of ourselves. Better to keep chanting along with everyone else. Surely someone knows what we're talking about, right, sheeple? Yet, this is one of the most important questions we could have learned to ask if our schools weren't so busy cramming our heads full of total nonsense. Over time, Western civilization has settled on something of an answer. We don't live in a utopia. We cannot prevent people from committing crimes. But we can commit to punishing crimes when they happen. Injustice is when that doesn't occur. Injustice is not when laws are broken. It is when laws are not enforced. Crimes are what happen when laws are broken. Injustice is what happens when crimes are not punished. So, 
For example, Black Lives Matter feels that certain laws are not enforced when it comes to the death of young black men at the hands of police officers, evidently white or otherwise. Or put differently, they are concerned that certain crimes go unpunished when it comes to the death of black men at the hands of police officers. That is an injustice. If murderers go free after committing murders, then that is an injustice. What is not an injustice is a murder. A murder is a crime. If someone murders you and is let go the next day, that is an injustice. If he murders you and spends the rest of his life in prison for it, then that is actually justice. He is getting what he deserves. Thankfully then, we can now say with great certainty that what happened to George Floyd was not an injustice. All the evildoers have been punished. Everyone is now behind bars. So I would ask of BLM sympathizers, where is the failure of justice? Where is the supposed system of injustice? Floyd's death was not an injustice. It was a crime, a heinous and evil one, to be sure. But justice was carried out in the same way that it is carried out for most citizens in this country. In the name of what exactly then did Black Lives Matter burn, loot, and destroy mostly black-owned neighborhoods? In the name of what exactly were countless crimes committed and many more people killed? In the name of what exactly were people beaten and robbed, stabbed and shot, assaulted, looted, mugged, spit on, and cursed at? I surmise and I suggest to you that it was in the name of nothing. The sick irony, obvious to anyone who isn't drinking the Kool-Aid of left-leaning race narratives, is that numerous injustices occurred in the wake of Floyd's death. Hundreds, if not thousands, of crimes were committed in the name of social justice that went unpunished. Where is the justice for those victims? Cities refused to enforce many laws in the riots that followed Floyd's death, and that is the real injustice. Someday, perhaps, the leaders of Black Lives Matter will face justice for the crimes they incited. But evidently, that day is not anytime soon. At the very least, now that it is so obviously clear for anyone who has a scintilla of interest in the truth, that Floyd's death was no injustice, perhaps Black Lives Matter will join conservatives in protesting the crimes committed without punishment in states like California and New York. Perhaps they will join conservatives in the injustice of not enforcing border laws. Perhaps they will join conservatives in the injustice of not enforcing drug laws, which disproportionately hurt blacks. I personally... I'm not going to hold my breath. This very public contradiction of their values has led certain leaders of Black Lives Matter and Antifa to admit they may have been wrong about the whole racial justice thing. As one confidential informant told this show, quote, 
It's hard to tell people to tear down a system that's just punished a bunch of racists. Now people will think we ransacked their homes and businesses for nothing, unquote. As a result, Black Lives Matter is currently working on a nationwide march to announce their victory over systemic racism and social injustice, saying they will now work instead on restoring all the property they destroyed and will maintain the graves of all the people they recklessly killed through their violent and dangerous ideology. I wish the best to Black Lives Matter and Antifa in those efforts. They no doubt have their work cut out for them. In other news, more Epstein contacts have been revealed from the previously reported documents released this week. Among the names are more staunchly Republican heroes, like former Secretary of the Treasury under Bill Clinton and Keeper of the Keys to the Lizard People Kingdom, Lawrence Summers. Summers, who solicited Epstein for donations to his wife's poetry club, met with him in numerous locations dozens of times over the course of three years. He has used the proven defense of quote-unquote deeply regretting ever knowing the evidently well-known Epstein. The former president of Harvard and still professor of Harvard seemed to have missed Epstein's 2008 conviction as a sexual predator and didn't believe Epstein to be harming the young girls he always had around him. If only Summers had spoken to someone at Harvard, which stopped soliciting Epstein for donations after his conviction, then perhaps he might have avoided this tragic embarrassment. Other names have included co-founder of LinkedIn, Reed Hoffman, ghost trying to phase out of the room, Woody Allen, former Prime Minister of Israel, Ehud Barak, and hedge fund manager, Leon Black. Now, of course, all of the names released so far have been liberal elites. But it's important to recognize that eventually Republicans will be named as well. My money is personally on Mitch McConnell. But even if everyone named in these documents are liberal Democrats, it's not like everyone who meets with Epstein are creepy pedophiles. It's entirely possible that many, if not most, of these powerful global elites were simply ignorant of the dark side of Epstein, who is well known for being a child sex broker for powerful global elites. After all, let's remember Bill Clinton was close friends with Epstein even after his 08 conviction. And who would seriously suggest that Bill Clinton could be a dishonest, potentially dangerous sexual miscreant? Well, that's all I've got for you today, folks. I'm Eric Giannis, reminding you that I have no intentions of killing myself, and this has been The Eric Giannis Show. Hold up. 